afternoon. I am your host today, Chris Yanes, filling in for Neil Shulman, who is feeling a little bit under the weather, uh, but he will be joining us to give some analysis as well as our other co-host, Dustin Smith. You can follow Dustin at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. You can follow Neil at All Kinds Weather and myself at Mr. Crispitz. And before we get started, wanted to mention we'd be remiss without acknowledging the unfortunate passing of coach Mike Leach from Mississippi State. We lost an icon as well as a tremendous man today and we definitely pay our respects to him and wish his family well. Lots of thoughts and prayers at this time. Could not imagine losing a family member this time of year, especially right before the holiday season. So thoughts and prayers to Mike Leach and his family and the Mississippi State community during this difficult time. Uh, But now let's getting into this game. Oregon State is the first time we have ever matched up against the Beavers. Also the first time we've ever played in the Las Vegas Bowl. So certainly a fun bowl destination for any Gator fans traveling out there this weekend. Uh, But it's going to be a very different looking Gators football team as we've had lots of opt-outs, some transfers, guys going and declaring for the NFL draft. Um, this roster is going to look very different next year, but for this bowl game, we're down to about 62 scholarship players. How do we feel about going into this game? Uh, Dustin, what are your thoughts on the roster? I'm anxious to see what the depth chart looks like. I know that there's some players that have declared for the draft or have declared that they're going to be going to the transfer portal that will play Um, one player of note that we know about is Gervon Dexter. He's going to play in the in the bowl game most likely, and I'm excited to see how he plays. We obviously know Anthony Richardson is moving on, so Jack Miller is going to be quarterback, and he's certainly a mixed bag from what we saw in the spring game. Um, there's been some report that he's done pretty good in practice, so my hope is that he'll go out there and he'll make the right play, but we're certainly expecting the Gators to be Uh, very run heavy in this game. Now, before moving on to any other discussion, real quick, I just also want to take a second to um, send my thoughts and prayers to everybody surrounding uh, Mississippi State and, of course, the Mike Leach family. Mike Leach was somebody that I personally looked up to. Everybody that has listened to the pod and and, and knows my passion for the game, I love throwing the ball, and I I love – um, passing scheme and and Mike Leach is one of the fathers of the air raid offense and how we how we innovated the game and you know this is certainly a hard time for me uh, and I know I know a lot of us listening um, but yeah my thoughts and prayers are with the whole the family and the whole situation so yeah that that's my thoughts yeah it's definitely a sad time uh, I'm not going to spend. I'm not going to use too many words for this, as y'all can hear. I'm at about 30% voice capacity, but definitely a sad, sad time for college football. Right after, right after he coaches Mississippi State to the Egg Bowl win over Ole Miss. I mean, state fans, the Hale State community is on top of the world, thinking, "Oh my God, the, the, the sky's the limit." He's just gotten this program started, and then just a few weeks later, he's gone. It's just so unfathomable. I mean, there's. I mean, Dustin and Chris mentioned, yeah, there's also the family aspect of it, the holiday season aspect. It just sucks. There's, you know, we like like to try to find, you know, good in every story, but there's no good in this. There's no winner in this. This is just a terrible, awful situation and and best wishes to 
the Leach family and the Mississippi State community. So as far as the Vegas Bowl goes, I, I just want to see effort from the Gators. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about not just laying down and hand any other team the win like we saw against Carolina last year. That That's too low of a bar to even discuss as a norm. But, I mean, while there won't be a ton of these guys, there certainly will be some guys who will be back next year who are playing in this game. We, we know a few guys in this t- year's team who will be playmakers next year, like Chris McClellan and Kamari Wilson on defense, uh, Montrell Johnson, and Trevor Etienne running the ball, Jason Marshall, just a sophomore in the secondary. So he should be back unless he decides to pull a surprise and transfer on us. But I don't think he would do that. Ricky Pearsall should be back. So who, who are the veteran leaders next year going to be? Because if an incoming freshman like you know a, a Roderick Kearney or an Aiden Mizell or a portal QB are going to step in and, and be that leader, then that's great. But you can't count on that. So who are the guys with a year plus at Florida already under their belts that are going to be leaders next year? You got a shot to to stake your claim for that with this game. Yeah, no doubt. There's an opportunity for, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what Jack Miller has. I mean, I know Dustin mentioned there's reports that he's done well. I mean, he unfortunately got hurt early in the year. He was going to be the backup going into the season until that injury. And I want to see what he's got. I think that he was a four-star rated quarterback out of high school, was recruited to Ohio State. Ohio State is a you know, renowned football program. They only recruit the best to their football program they have in recent memory. So I, I look forward to seeing what he's got. And we are going to certainly need him to be at his best to have a chance in this game. Looking forward to next season, I'm, I'm eager to see the, the, the offensive linemen that are coming back outside of Richard Garage and Osiris Torrance. I want to see how obviously the run game hopefully continues to travel as it has all season. It, that's really, I think, our shot to win this game is to be able to run the ball incredibly effectively. The receivers, I mean, most of these receivers outside of Deshaun Reynolds are coming back. How do they play in this game? Can they elevate Jack Miller in the passing game? And then our defense. You know, these we've talked about it all year. Can these young guys continue to step like a Desmond Watson or Chris McClellan, as Neil mentioned? Also, maybe a guy like a Miguel Mitchell, uh, who also has started to come on in that safety spot. I think that's somebody that is potentially the favorite to start, actually, at one of the safety spots next year alongside Kamari Wilson. So it, it's really cool to see bowl games can be a lens into the future. And I think this year, Maybe that's a conversation we want to have really quickly now is that the differences between this bowl game versus last year's bowl game. I think a lot of us last year and maybe even to affect this year, just want to get the year over, get to the off season. But last year you had a coaching staff that was, you know, phased out. They were fired the next day. Every single one of them, they did. They all were not retained. We, you know, we were playing against a motivated UCF team. Uh, to win an in-state battle against us in a bowl game. We had a lot of opt-outs. This year, we do have a lot of opt-outs, but we have a lot of young freshmen that are eager to make a a name for themselves so they can go into the spring game with some momentum to potentially start next year, as well as a coaching staff who, as far as we know, is going to be fully retained, potentially outside of a couple of changes that may come about. That always happens at the end of the year. But for the most part, the staff is going to be remaining intact and together. So it is an opportunity for them to try some new things before the offseason. Yeah, I think 
I mean, you're talking about a team that the word you used was motivated. Last year, yeah, there were guys coming back that knew they were coming back, but that team just didn't care, aside from a couple of exceptions. Damian Pierce, every time he touches the ball, we know he cares. Richard Garage, we know because we see him do it every time he steps onto the field. He cares about what he's doing. And I have reason to believe that Emory Jones cared, but the majority of that team did not care. This year's team understands, especially the young guys, that they still have a long career ahead of them at Florida. They ha- they have to care. That's why they're here. That's why they rec- recruited to Florida, either via the portal last offseason or through the high school ranks. They have to care. This is your chance to earn yourself a roster spot or a, or a high depth chart spot on a team next year that – Right now, still sit zero and zero. Sky's the limit. You know, CFP, Atlanta, SEC title, that's all still on the table. So you want to get in while you can and get your foot in the door before anyone else you're competing against has that chance to put on some tape that can impress coaches and make their claim. So I would have every reason to think that this year's team is motivated. There's just the depth issue and the personnel issue that, you know, you talked about with only 62 guys uh, on scholarship for this game. But I expect this team to care and, and play hard. If nothing else. That's, yeah, yeah, Neil, that. yep. yeah, Neil, I agree with you. I think this team's gonna play hard. I expect I expect us to play certainly better than we did against UCF. I think our receivers are gonna catch the ball. Um and I think Jack Miller is gonna have a he's gonna have a good game. Now, the most imp- the most important aspect of our offense is going to be running the ball. Etienne and Johnson certainly have to have an excellent game on the ground. But from my standpoint, and I, and I think y'all would agree, our defense is really what's going to have to show up. Oregon <laughs> State is a team that has shown um, excellency uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So if we don't play defense, if we don't tackle, if we don't wrap up, if we don't get in position – if we don't execute defensively, we're going to get blown out, and Oregon State is going to score 50 on us. Simple as that. But if our defense decides to show up, if we decide to execute, then it's going to be a football game because on paper, our defense – now, again, I, we really have to see the uh, the depth chart and kind of what it all looks like in terms of the roster – but on paper, Florida should have the more talented team. I mean, I know, I know, uh, we have, we're going to have Wingo starting. I mean, some, he was not a consensus five star, but I believe Rivals had him as a five star. That's just one example. Kamari Wilson, right? Uh, borderline five star. We have talent across the field. The question is, is that talent going to show up and play the defense that we hope they do? They're very inconsistent this year. So that's that's the big question for the game. What is our defense going to do? No doubt, no doubt. And with that, let's head into our final verdict, kind of previewing quickly Oregon State and what they bring to the table. Oregon State, much like the Florida Gators, is a team that does not pass the ball very well, only averaging about 200 yards to Florida's 227. So Florida, a slightly better passing team. But of course, Florida is without their leading passer now, Anthony Richardson, since he's declared for the NFL draft. Oregon State's quarterback is a is a guy named Ben Goldbrunson. He's a freshman. 
only passed for about 1,200 yards on the season, eight touchdowns, five interceptions. So pretty young guy there. They also have a young running back, Damian Martinez, who likely will pass the 1,000-yard threshold this year. He's only 30 yards shy of that mark. So Oregon State has some young players on the offensive side of the ball. They definitely run the ball better than they throw it, just like Florida does. Like I said, this is a game that probably comes down to a rushing game, but uh, that's why we previewed this matchup and see what happens. So, guys, what are the keys, uh, given that it is Oregon State is a rushing team, uh, what do we think the keys are to this game? I mean, for me, it's it's beat them at their own game. Um, our, I've said this before. I said this after the FSU game, and I'll say it again now. Our defense is hard. It, our defense is just – I'll I'll use the word that our own players have used. Our defense is trash. That's, that's the word of two of the 11 guys starting under defense this year have both used that word to describe the defense. It's trash. The defense is going to do what it's, been, what it's done all year, and then that's give up huge 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 numbers of yardage so i'm not even going to focus my my analysis there they're going to give a lot of yards and a lot of points we have to beat them at their own game and rush the ball very very successfully and do so in a way that eats a lot of clock because i mean dustin you know you you love your padlock stat of, of rushing the ball for 210 yards well here's here's an inverted version of that oregon state this year is 0-2 against FBS opponents. Uh, they, had, they had one FCS game where the, the yards kind of added up in garbage time. I'm not I'm not counting that. Against FBS opponents, they're 0-2 when they surrender 160-plus rushing yards to their opponent. They lost both times. So if Florida can run the ball effectively, keep Oregon State's defense on the field. More importantly, keep their own Gator defense off the field so they don't get the opportunity to give up enough yardage to form a new continent, then Florida's chances of winning, we'll talk about that in a second, go up significantly. So if Florida can control the clock, control the ball, put together long drives, I think a lot of other things will take care of themselves in Florida We'll, we'll be in a position in the fourth quarter where it's it's a game and then they can make plays down the stretch to win it. Yeah, I think I think my biggest concern is Oregon State actually has an excellent run defense. Um, they're they're giving up about 114 yards per game. Now, I think we have to rush for more than 150 yards to win because I don't think we're going to be able to sustain the offense throwing the ball. Now, certainly, are we going to have to pick up some third and sixes and some third and sevens through the air to keep the ball moving down the field? Certainly. Um, are we going to have opportunities to capitalize and play action pass when we really need that? We, we have to. That That's a critical part of Billy Napier's offense, so we're going to have to throw the ball effectively. But if we're showing up to this game like Florida did in the Tennessee game or they did in the Vanderbilt game, expecting to air air the rock out and, and throw for 300, 400 yards and 50 passes, um, we're going to be in big trouble because that's not how you beat Oregon State, even though they are an excellent run-stopping team. I think we have to we have to demand our presence running the ball. Even if we're not super effective, we have to demand our presence running the ball. And then if we do that, then I think throwing the ball will open up. So 
just to kind of give a key, just to kind of boil it down, we have to run the ball effectively. And it's been my padlock stat the entire season. And I'm going to keep it the padlock stat the entire season. I know it didn't work out against FSU, but we certainly scored enough points to win the game. I think, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a two-fold padlock stat. If we rush for 210 yards and give up less than 210 yards then on the ground, then Florida wins the game. So we have to not only run for that amount, but we have to give up less than that amount. So we have the same keys to the game, basically. You're, you're just going twofold with it. Um, and just, just to reiterate that the number is 160 yards on the ground, not 150. But yeah, Oregon State is 0-2 this year against FBS opponents when they surrender 161 or more yards. Everything. Yeah, let's make correct. it 0-3. Let's make it 0-3. Oh, so now wait. So now, now you're saying if Florida rushes for 160 plus, regardless of if it's 210 plus, Florida still wins the game. Which either way is a fair point. And I'm not trying to waste words with the limited amount of voice I have. I'm just trying to clarify here. I think because of the circumstances of the game and the fact that we're playing a backup quarterback, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at 210. Um, and then I'm also adding the caveat that not only does Florida have to run for 210 or more, but they have to. Uh, give up less than 210 on the ground. And that's certainly going to be a tall task because Oregon State typically only gives up 114 yards per game. So we would, in essence, have to run double what they're typically giving up. So that that's where I stand. All right, Chris, let's say you. Well, you know, I, I like those. I think the running game is a large component to this. But I'm going to say the key to the game for me is Jack Miller. Jack Miller, if he plays a good game, doesn't turn the ball over, manages the game well, we don't need him to be Anthony Richardson out there if we're running the ball for over 200 yards like Dustin and Neil are talking about. But if he can manage the game, keep the field position in check, I think that's a major key as well as field position. Are we able to make them go the distance of the field? Don't spot them easy starting points. You know, we can't turn the ball over in our own territory because that's where the game is going to get away from us and get away from us very quickly. That's what happened against Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Uh, that's happened multiple times this past season when we turn the ball over. We have to avoid the turnover. We have to avoid the, the big play happening. So that's my key to the game is field position as well as Jack Miller playing a great game for us and managing. Just manage the game. Don't let the game get away from you. So with that, let's talk about percentage chance to win. Uh, FBI gives us uh, about a 43% chance to win this game. What do you guys think? Uh, Neil, what is your percentage chance? Well, so I, I, I'm tempted to give in to the, the popular talking point amongst Gator fans that we don't have our team and this is going to be a loss because it, they're motivated and they're just better than us. And now we have our C squad and all that. But there's one thing that gives me pause, and th that's the fact that, as you know, we talked about the running game plenty on this pod already, but that's the one thing Florida's been consistently good at all year long, and that's the one component of this of this program that's still intact right now, aside from Osiris Torrance, but still the rest of the offensive line that's done such a great job this year. Minus Osiris Torrance, uh, Kingsley Aguacan. <clears throat> Sorry, I really don't have a voice. Um, Tarquin, Austin Barber, Ethan White, Richard Garage, 
Uh, I mean, the, the backups even are still intact. Like Slaughter, they're, they're all still there. The running backs, Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, they're they're still there. The guys that helped this running game be our strength all season long are all still there, except for the one guy. Granted, he is the best guy, but the one guy of a seven eight ish part unit that makes it the run game. So that alone puts this percentage above the single digit range. And I also think that because Florida is going to be motivated for this game, that you know, unlike last year where we just knew it was a dead team walking, that ups it a little bit more. But Oregon State's just better. Uh, offense, defense, certainly on special teams, they're just better than us. So I'll put this around 17 18% for Florida. Not not a certain loss, but I, I, I would be surprised but not shocked if Florida won, put it that way. So Neil, I don't, I don't. First off, I don't get the the hate on special teams. I think we've improved significantly, and I love having Etienne and Pearsall in the backfield. So, assuming those guys play and they're and they're returning punts and kicks, I I, I think they're going to be game changers. You know, not to not hold to, on a second. I mean, very that's, quickly, Dustin. Hold on against South Carolina, our third to last game. We had a field goal blocked. We had a field goal. We couldn't handle the snap. We had a fake punt given up for a touchdown. We fumbled a punt, and we gave up a 40-yard punt return. The next game after that, we outright lose the game. Granted, be, you know Marshall's not returning punts now, I don't think. but And we had Mahalik miss an extra point. And then the last game, we had a kickoff that goes out of bounds, the ultimate unforced error. And you think things have gotten better? That's all the last three games. Things have gotten better? Well, obviously that kickoff out of bounds was something that was – in inexcusable but outside of that i thought we played excellent on special teams against fsu and that's why i gave the grade that we did and i think it's hard to maholic has definitely been um he's been not ideal as a kicker he's had his ups and downs but as far as the return game i think we've got the right guys in the backfield and i think they're going to make a difference you know when you have pearsall and you have ETN returning kicks and punts, respectively. I think it's making a difference. I think we found our guys, and as long as we play discipline kicking the ball, I think that we'll be we'll be in good shape. You know, I'm I'm I haven't gotten the injury report, so I'm not sure if Trey Smack will be available in the game. But if he is, I I want to see him kick the ball. All right, fair enough. So, what's your percent chance? Earlier in the pod. Chris mentioned that ESPN gives Florida about a 42-43% chance to win. I'm not going to go that high. I'm not 100% sure if that has a, the built-in assumption that uh, Anthony Richardson is not playing. I assume that. Um, I'm going to give Florida a 40% chance to win. Justin, I like that. I, that's that's pretty much where I fall too. I would I would probably say about a forty percent chance as well. I, I think that there is a chance that Florida definitely wins this game. They certainly, despite the fact that they're down to sixty some odd scholarship players, are still the more talented team on paper. They certainly have not played up to that talent ranking at all this season, uh, for the most part, at least consistently. And we need that to happen this for this game to in order for us to have a chance. I'm, I think that the young players being really hungry to potentially start early next year, and this is a prove-it game, are what give us a chance against this team. But you got to remember, this is also an Oregon State team that defeated Oregon in the last week of the season. They finished uh, toward the top of the Pac-12 this year. This is a good team. So th this is going to be a very difficult game to play. They've got some young players of their own that have come on late, as we mentioned before. 
So I'm going to give us about a 40% chance to win. And now I guess we get into our score predictions now. My, I'll go ahead and get mine really quick, and then I'll let the other guys answer. My score prediction for this game, the spread is at 10. Uh, if you were able to get the Vegas line a little bit lower, maybe you had a chance to make some money. But I think Florida actually covers this spread. I think they keep this a one-touchdown game. I'm going to predict that Oregon State, though, ultimately prevails 31-24. to 24. I just think that there's not enough of our guys there. I think Oregon State's going to have their team and they are the most consistent team this season. They're also from the West Coast, a lot less travel time for them. I just think all those factors, Oregon State's going to better Florida. But I do think we stay in this game for the majority of it, and I don't think we let it get away from us. Chris, Neil, um, you know how I've done it. And I I, I, uh, I approached with this method against FSU, and, and I didn't make the right pick. So I'm going to do this, okay? Florida isn't likely to win the game, put at 40%. But for my specific pick, I'm going to pick Florida to win. Probably going to be wrong, but I hope I'm right. I'm going to pick Florida to win 30-23. to 23. I think we get it done on the ground, and I think there's going to be a lot of addition by subtraction. Now, because I haven't seen the depth chart yet, I reserve – the right to change it on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to put out a final pick before the game starts. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, for, for now on the pod, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at uh, 30 to 23 Florida. I don't think Florida gets embarrassed. I just don't see how they have a path to win unless the running game is more dominant than I think it can be. Cause like we mentioned, Oregon state does have a very good rush defense which is 20th in the country in terms of rush yards allowed per game. Now, granted, they did amass that in the Pac-12, so take that for what you will. And I don't think that they're going to stop Florida, but they might get the critical stops, if that makes sense. It'll be it'll be their, their defense bending but not breaking, and us not being able to impose our will. Though, you know, we will get some yards. We won't get all the yards we need. We won't make all the plays we need. So I think when we're forced into obvious passing downs, I mean, we, we just haven't seen it from Jack Miller. Maybe he is one of those like Kyle Trask type gamers that just steps on the field and balls out when no one expects it. If he does, that's great, but we cannot logically count on that. So I'll say Oregon State 34, Florida 20. Not a complete humiliation, but not exactly a nail biter in the final minutes either. I think that's a great pick. I think I think all of our picks are possible. Just whichever outcome happens based on the team. Again, this team is highly inconsistent. This team can beat anybody in the country, and this team can lose to almost anybody in the country. We saw that with Vanderbilt, and we saw that with almost losing to USF. But this team also beat Utah, and by translative property, this Florida team is the Pac-12 champion. (laughs) Not all uh, the central. All all joking aside, all joking aside, it's going to be exciting. For all, for all of us, we're just waiting for this game to get over, and then we're going to get on to recruiting. So, Yep. And speaking yeah, of, that, of that, Dustin, we I do want to recap uh, some recruiting uh, before the end of the podcast here, but do we have any last-minute thoughts before we end the podcast here as far as the bowl game goes? 
No, I think that's it, man. Just just go out and do your jobs, guys. That's all. You know, the players, yeah. the coaches, Napier, no stupid burning of timeouts when you don't need to. Run the ball until Oregon State proves they can stop it. You know, just just do what you're supposed to do. That's that's all I ask. And hey, Definitely. hopefully, oh, hopefully we're back here again. The college football playoff uh national championship game is here, I think, in a few years. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. That would hey, be worth traveling out to. <laughs> so hey, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful stadium. Um, I hope the players can uh can stay sane. I know Vegas is a very distracting place, but we'll see what happens. Hopefully we 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 uh we get business mode going and we um we play well. Oh wait, no, Vegas lost that bid to Atlanta. My bad. Atlanta's got it in twenty five. I thought that was I imagine though Vegas. Yeah, Vegas is gonna get it eventually. At some point they'll get it. But yeah. Yeah. So Definitely. Chris, uh, I mean, as I mean as people can hear, I haven't really been uh you know, very with it. I've been sleeping a lot last couple of days. But you know, Chris, you're on top of this. So fill me as well as the audience in. Uh, what's what's been happening in the world of gator recruiting the last couple of days? Well, if you all are following or anybody listening has been following on Twitter, most of the prognosticators out there would say recruiting is trending up. We've seen a lot of the upward graph emojis following or uh, going around. Shout out Hayes Fawcett on that one. But I think that, right, we had a very successful official visitors list this past weekend. Shout out to this coaching staff, the Army, for getting all of these guys in there, especially five-star offensive lineman Samson Okunlola visiting as an official visit, and he is now T-minus two days from committing to a school of his choice. Many believe that it is down to Florida, Miami, and potentially a dark horse in Alabama. So definitely look out for Alabama here. Corey Bender has said that that as a school that could potentially be closing late, but Florida is the one that has the most Buzz. Miami will be going in home with him today. That certainly I can imagine will make some Gator fans nervous. This is going to be a close recruitment. Florida did all they could here, though. I think the coaching staff sold him on the playing time, the vision of the program. But this is going to come down to NIL. Uh, it's no secret this guy likes to brand himself as the master of pancakes. He recently got a deal with Kodiak Pancakes, uh, NIL deal. The kids is still in high school, not even in college yet. So that's the kind of player we're dealing with here. That's the new era of college football. We'll see what happens. I, I definitely think if I had to put it, I'd say, and we'll, and all three of us will put out our predictions before signing day. We'll do another podcast recapping the bowl game as well as re previewing our early signing day a week from tomorrow. But if I had to gauge it, I think it's a 50, 50 proposition. Samson comes to Florida. I think it's really close, but we have to just see how it, uh, it would close as well as the NI. NIL dynamics of this recruitment. John Walker is another one. He's currently committed to UCF, has been committed since the summer. He's very tight with that uh, coaching staff over there, very tight with the defensive line coach. I ultimately believe, though, we do get the flip. I think Walker sees the potential to start at the SEC level very quickly. I think this coaching staff has done a fantastic job, not just getting him on campus one time, but multiple times throughout the fall. I, I think that the only player here is his tight uh, only factor potentially staying with UCF is the fact that he's tight with the coaching staff there and he's closer to home there, but obviously two hours north to Gainesville isn't that much of a difference. I ultimately think we get it done and we flip Walker. 
Jordan, Jaden Platt is a tight end prospect. He's been committed to Stanford for a while, but since the coaching change there and David Shaw leaving, he has now reopened his recruit, or many believe he's going to be reopening his recruitment. hasn't officially decommitted yet, but many believe he's going to eventually, and that the two schools are Texas A&M and Florida. Texas A&M may be the leader in the clubhouse, but this visit gave him and his family a lot to think about. Would not be surprised if he ended up in the class. Florida right now was not slated to take a tight end. We have a pretty heavy tight end room, but Jaden Platt is a four-star tight end, top 250 player. You definitely don't deny a talent when you can get somebody that's 6'5", 230 pounds in your tight end room. Mark Fletcher, the running back out of American Heritage High School down in South Florida, is a, a pretty solid prospect, I think, that ends up in the class. He was looking at Miami pretty heavily, but over the weekend, Miami took running back Chris Johnson. So that led people to believe that Mark Fletcher, being that he took his last official visit to Florida, that Florida now is the leader in the clubhouse for that recruitment. Things could change. He could still visit Miami this coming weekend. And if he does, then all bets are off. But right now, Florida looks to be the leader in the clubhouse. We had three-star Caden Jones, an offensive lineman out of Louisiana. Florida has led, according to him, for the majority of this recruitment. I think this is the case if there's room in the class, Florida probably takes him. If not, he might go to a school like a Houston uh, or a school out in Texas. Texas A&M is another player in this recruitment. But if Florida wants him, it looks like he'll end up in the class. Then the big news of the weekend, we got a commitment from defensive tackle, Louisville transfer, Caleb Banks. He's 6'7", 300 pounds, real big body. Definitely is somebody that could look to figure into the class or to play early next year. Just given his size, he's a little bit of a developmental prospect, but has grown a lot over the last year. And he had an impressive offers list, including USC, Tennessee, Virginia Tech, as well as Florida. So good offer list early on at the moment he hit the portal. And Louisville fans were really upset that he did leave. So I think it's a great gift for the class to get him on campus and then ultimately get him to commit. So we had a great official visitors list. The staff ultimately just has to close, and we're going to preview this a little bit more, but that kind of gets you a little bit up to speed on what happened over the weekend, and uh, we'll just have to see. We'll have to see. So it's, it's up to the staff, but thank you, guys. 12 months a year. Yep. It's good. It's always recruiting season now in Florida. So All right. Well, we thank you all for joining us today. Um, on behalf of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, I was your host, Chris Yanes. Uh, filling in for Neil Shulman. Neil, we hope you get better, as well as Dustin Smith. And we will see you next week for another exciting episode of the All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Go Gators. Smash the Beavers. Yep, go Gators. <laughs>